Para Benzema, se mete por el segundo palo, Rodrigo intentó devolvérsela a Lucas que pelea, roba el balón, abaca el cuerpo, Benzema pasó, mira hacia atrás, el centro de la muerte, le pegó Madrid, gol, gol. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast, where we are recording this about two-ish hours after Real Madrid walk into Iparua and pass their way around Abar's high press, en route to a 3-1 win, and I'm sitting here, it's 7 p.m. Eastern, I have a double espresso, my 11-month-old got up at 4.30 for two days straight, I'm not putting the espresso to lip yet, but it's there as a break-in-case-of-emergency scenario where I fall asleep during an Om Arvin monologue tonight. But for now, that game was exciting enough to keep me just about awake. So joining me, Kian Sobani, to break it all down are Matt Wiltsey and Omarvin. Gentlemen, how you doing? Hey, Kian, doing well. Um, yeah, no, that game was, especially the first 20 minutes, I really, really enjoyed the first 20 minutes. There was some champagne football, a lot of great sequences. Um, I mean, we saw Luka Modric playing just peak Luka Modric football you can't you can't ask for anything more than that so I, I enjoyed it I'm doing well uh Ohm, how you doing I'm doing all right if Keon is worried about my monologues he better get off right now because uh, I have like a full I guess like tactical t- context to give this in terms of the Man United Leeds game today which I think the discourse over it really reflected I think what happened in today's game so yeah, I'm sorry, Keon, but you're going to fall asleep again. I didn't see that game, but if it's true that that Manchester United versus Leeds was basically Real Madrid versus Abar, but with literally double the amount of goals, I may actually go back and watch it. I've seen, I saw the first McTominay goal, and that's it. That's all I have for that game. So was it, they were similar, I'm assuming. Just the whole context of like really aggressive man-to-man high pressing and it getting ripped apart and then this whole debate over whether Bielsa's approach is the right thing which you know that same debate didn't have here because Mandilubar doesn't have quite the same like cult personality and cult attraction that Bielsa does but I think if you were to take that exact same argument and just swap out the team names and the coach names I think it works here because you know I'm sure there will be people after this one like asking why Ibar did what they did Mm. and you know like you know, pointing to the fact that Real Madrid just ripped them apart like within 12 minutes. They, you know what, Mendelibar is in a lot of ways the 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 hipster version of Bielsa. Like if you go down to like the underground hipster level, because he is also in many ways an outlier to the way he plays football. With the budget he has, he plays a certain way that other teams with his budget just don't play. You know, he's more daring. He's a little bit more bold. And today it costs him. But you know, I'm not I'm not sure that. If playing in a low block would have would have been more beneficial to him either. I don't know. We'll get into it. I have some opinions on it. I'm sure you guys do. Um, first and foremost, before we get into it, 
More importantly, um, that picture you posted of the empty bag of, it says chakali on the bag. Is that the, is that the Indian snack that it's like, it's like just really, it's like a lot of sodium and crunch. Some little bit of little it's, bit of spicy pieces of two too. That's because that's my weakness. I don't. I never know what it's called, but sometimes there's just a bowl of it in front of me, and like I can't help it. I'm I'm just I. It's one of my weaknesses. Well, I don't know what you're talking about via the description, but it's like one of those snacks that are like a spiral, and it's like fried and super crunchy, but like yeah. it's got that distinctive spiral shape. And yeah, that's what that is. Matt, can you relate to this at all? Are you, you're just on the no. standard white white guy <laughs> diet? Yeah. Mashed potatoes? No, I'm looking at I'm looking at Ohm's uh, picture right now. I'm not I'm not familiar. All right. Well, it's good. I I know what Ohm's talking about. The the, the bag it's, is empty. It's a staple at all at all Indian stores. If you go to any Indian store across the world, they have it. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Uh, rest in peace to Ohm Arvin's uh, DMs after this, since we brought up the entire country of India, and it's one of its best snacks. So. <laughs> Let's talk about Real Madrid versus Abar. I thought it was interesting that after the game, Carvajal spoke about, you know, he said that Zidane told us that Abar are going to come into this game pressing really high. They're pressing really high right now, this season, and we have to be prepared to, to be very quick with our passing and our movement. And that was a point of emphasis. I thought it was pretty clear in that first half, particularly that Real Madrid were very prepared to escape the press and they did it really well. So Matt, why don't we start with you? <clears throat> what were your observations of like the first five to ten minutes of that game, how it unfolded, and um, did it did it kind of catch you by surprise? I guess we all have the benefit of also reading Jose's great previews that go up basically just before the game. So the ones who are really woke will be ready to log on to Managing Madrid just before the game starts. Read that, get a really great scouting report. So we kind of knew that was happening, but. What was your kind of assessment of the first 10, 15 minutes or so? Yeah, I, I mean, reading that and recalling, I mean, just previous matches versus Ibar, even last season um, when we played at Iparua, the, it was kind of the same story. They they pressed high. They looked to try and um, squeeze Madrid as much as possible. But as soon as we played through that, we just ripped them apart. It was the same thing tonight. Um, I think what I really noticed that Madrid did well is they would they kind of do the short, short, long. So play two quick passes short and then either dink, like chip a little ball across uh, above past the first uh, line of press, or they'd hit a longer ball to Benzema as like a target man who would just lay it off. Um, and so that's how they broke the press. And every time they'd play that little chip ball, it was either to Luka Modric, Tony Cruz, or like I said, Kareem Benzema. And those are our three just most technically proficient players. So those are the three players that are left free. And you're not worried, like, even if you're lofting a ball to them um, and they're going to have three guys bearing down on them as soon as they bring the ball down, you're not worried because those three are just so press resistant, so good on the ball that they can get the job done. And you especially saw it with Modric in that first half. I mean, my God, some of the touches, it was just, it was beautiful to watch. And I think, Tony Cruz in the second half, probably a little bit more so. It's it was funny because I was seeing on um, Twitter, like, first half, everyone was talking about, oh, Luka Modric, best center midfielder in the world when he's playing like this. And then second half, other people were saying, Tony Cruz, best central midfielder in mm -hmm. the world when he's playing like this. So, I mean, we're just, I mean, we're so lucky to have them both. And just 
these types of games are tailor made for them because they thrive. They thrive playing against the press. It's what it's what they do best. Um, your your assessment was um was about kind of the same. Would you say? Yeah, pretty much. I in the moment I was pretty critical actually of what Abar were doing. <clears throat> I took quite a bit of time to like go back and watch those pressing sequences. And I come away with like a little bit of a different opinion. I think actually it started off pretty well because like an issue I was having later on was how they were dealing with Casemiro. But honestly, I think they were largely fine. I kind of forgot in the moment that, or I guess like after when I was thinking about it and before I went to like rewatch all the stuff that the first goal was just a counterattack. And then the stuff that came after that is we just played clean through. Like they, they were... In, in their application, like we can talk about whether they should have done it or not, but in their application of a man-to-man high press, you know, dealing with that overload at the back with Casemiro dropping, like they were shifted, the striker was shifting over okay, you know, their, their angles in which they were pressing the center backs were good and, and, you know, cutting off angles. Just when Luka Modric literally plays the best game he's ever played since the 2018 World Cup, you know, Kroos is on fire. Carvajal's back in the side, and and we will discuss this. But I think Carvajal's ability on the ball and against the press is super underrated. Like, there's just not much you can do to stop Real Madrid from progressing the ball high up the pitch. There's a reason that 2016 to 2017 Real Madrid side was just impossible to press, and you know, it was because of Modric, it was because of Kroos, it was also because of Carvajal, it was because of Benzema dropping. You know, Lucas, when he's on form, isn't bad, though he ended up, you know, giving the ball away uh, for, you know, Abar's goal. Like, it's when we decide to play like this, everyone's on song. Like, there's just not much you can do as the opposition. And, like, you know, after stepping back and taking a look at things, like, I just have to hold my hands up and say that, like, there were just some incredible passing sequences going on, especially the first 15 minutes that basically no team in the world would have been able to stop. I thought when Matt said, kind of brought up the fact that Kroos in the second half and Modric in the first half, like in terms of what we noticed, I thought that was apt because in the first half, you know, Kroos really, or Kroos um, was not passing great. He had a couple plays where I thought he just didn't look sharp. And I thought Abar's press was quite good, you know, to start. You know, so like, you know, if if Om thought it was better after he rewatched it, I thought it was like right away, I thought it was pretty good. Um, they forced Cruz into a giveaway in the third minute, and a couple times where they were bypassed, and you know they were bypassed a lot. You know, so it's actually more than a couple times, especially as the half wore on. But um, their transition defense was pretty good on the flanks. Really, like what I would start to like really criticize them with is, for example, the defending on Modric's goal was horrendous, like all the way throughout. Especially that, like if you look at it. From the from the beginning, Modric was unmarked the entire time at the top of the box, and no one cared to close him. But <clears throat> but also like the way that Real Madrid played out of the press was really really impressive, and especially that one in the 16th minute where it's just like crazy aggressive pressing from Abar and Carvajal and Vasquez, and then Modric dropping deep and Benzema dropping deep to link up. The, the passing from Ramos, Farhan, everyone, it was it was a good, like, one-minute sequence, I think. And then it leads to the Benzema chance at the far post, which if that goes in, that's one of the goals of the season just for the sheer build-up alone. It was incredibly impressive. Um, from Abar's perspective, 
I'm, you know, if I'm an Abar fan, I'm okay with what I saw today because I think what happened to them, to be quite honest, it, it, it took a really, really good Real Madrid to, to beat it. If they, if they pressed Real Madrid that aggressively, let's say in the 16-17 season, I would have been more critical of them for taking that risk. Against this Real Madrid, I think, you know, if you're on your day, they're not on their day, you can catch them off guard, you can catch them with some laps passing. Um, Real Madrid ha- has had laps passing from even previously reliable ball carriers and passers out of the back like Varane, and then you have Mendy in the team today, you have Casemiro in the team today. I think they can be forgiven for being pretty aggressive. And again, a lot of things had to go Real Madrid's way, and they had to be nearly perfect to break them. So I'm okay, I'm okay with that. I guess I live with that if I'm Avar is what I'm saying. Um, but I, I just real okay. Go yeah, ahead. no, no, go for it. I thought you were moving on to no. Go well, for I was it. just gonna point out that, like, well, I guess before we discuss other things, like it's important to mention that Abar had a lot of defensive injuries, right? So, like, you know, them collapsing at the back, you know, in transition or whatever. Like, they were missing Cote, they were missing Paulo Oliveira, Esteban Burgos, you know, Correa. You know, I, the commentator mentioned it, um, but, like, you know, if you'd read Jose's uh, preview, then, like, we'd all know. And, like, I think that ended up hurting them quite a bit. And so, like, that needs to be considered in the context of, like, any of their breakdowns. Because, sure, in terms of pressing, it's what you do up front and what you do, you know, with your midfielders. But teams are always going to get through you. And then it's kind of the, like, it's on your, like, the individual quality of your defenders to kind of deal with things in transition. And when you're missing so many pieces, you know, that hurts you. And I think we could see it with, like, you know, the disorganization on the goals they conceded, like, you were especially critical of the second one. And I think that, like, played a factor. Yeah, that's about, that's about right to me. Um, And I think it, you know, it is interesting to point out that Abar, if you look at this, like, two years ago, um, they were just sorting it by PPDA, passes per defensive action. They were the most aggressive passing team in Europe. And um, since then, they cooled off a little bit. And this season, they're kind of back into that mode. <clears throat> and, um, and you know, I, I, I really did think they gave Real just some troubles. I just think that the way I had kind of formulated to ask Mendelibar in the press game, post-game press conference, but I didn't get a chance to, was that, it seemed like you guys pressed really well, but Real Madrid's passing was just better than your press. And I thought that that's the way, that was my take on it. And the second half, we'll get to it. I think, you know, maybe both teams ran out of gas, but, and Real Madrid weren't as sharp, and I thought Abar were a little bit better, but, but still, you know, like, you know, like that Rodrigo chance, they should have probably restored their, their two-goal lead in the second half, but they didn't. I think it was a pretty good ploy from them. I think they get, got a little bit unlucky, but that Real Madrid deserves a lot of credit I think Zidane deserves a lot of credit for for this one. As Carvajal kind of said in the press conference, they were prepared for this. They they did really well. Yeah, so, I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Um. Well, I just want to like selfishly ensure that this segues to like kind of like the United Leeds context. So I was going to ask you, Matt, whether you know you what you thought about Abar's approach, and you know whether it was kind of like the right thing to do, quote unquote and, like, how they executed it. But, like, obviously, if you had other thoughts as well. Uh, I mean, uh, we've seen, personally, just from a viewing perspective, I was I was happy with um, Abar's approach just because it, it made the game so much more open. It was fun to watch. It was fun to see Madrid play and just produce such crisp, 
like perfect passes, play through the press, show show how technically proficient they are and how many like just great press resistant players we we do have and we can kind of roll back the years to that 2016-2017 season and just have a glimpse of it again. Um but like if I was Mendelibar, would I have gone out with that? Uh I don't know. It, it's tough because it's tough to deviate away from your style. It's tough to like just tell the team that look, we're today we're playing Madrid, so we're just gonna sit in a low block when all we've ever done is is press high. Like that's who we are. Like it's really because coaches when you you implement those habits, like those habits are implemented over so many thousands of training sessions, and to just tell them one day, okay, we're we're gonna sit back. Um, then I, I don't know. I think that's a little bit more difficult. But I do think I do think they could have probably tweaked some of the part of their game. Like maybe instead of um, pressing like for three quarters of the game, because they did. There were there were moments where they sat in a, a mid block. But maybe um, like you you tail that back a little bit more rather than pressing for the majority of the game. But at the same time, like I can't really, I can't really blame them because Keon, I think you make some good points. Like they did have success. Um, Casemiro had some turnovers. Mendy, whenever he's pressed, looks a little bit uncomfortable. Like there are players out there that you can target and try to get the best of. But um, it is, I mean, it is, it, it's a tough question to answer. It's tough if you're Mendelibar in that situation. Yeah. So like the context behind this being, if you know, whoever listening did not watch the Premier League because obviously their focus is on Real Madrid and La Liga was, you know, Manchester United destroyed Leeds United 6-2. And the entire discussion was this aggressive, like man-to-man, high-pressing that, you know, people kind of always talk about with Bielsa. Like, it's something he does every time. He never deviates from his philosophy. It's, it's the one thing you always expect from Leeds. Like, that clearly was not you know, a good matchup on the day versus United. They, you know, if you go one versus one across the pitch versus like a transition-based team like United with Rashford and Martial, you know, Bruno Fernandez, like, you know, what the scoreline basically like tells it all. And the approach that Abar had was really quite similar, right? Like, I mean, if you go back and look at the press, like it's, it's not hard to understand what they're doing because it's just clearly meant men with maybe some question marks over what you're doing with Casemiro and the far side striker just kind of shading inwards. And to me, it's kind of the same in the sense that like Real Madrid have that similar individual quality, especially with Modric at, on, you know, in this kind of form. But, you know, the point Keon made about, like, I'd be a bit more critical of it if this was versus 16, 17 Madrid versus now, I think is valid, right? Because, yeah, I mean, I, I expect Real Madrid to do better versus pressing with Modric in the form that he is in, with Carvajal back in the side. But this isn't the same team, right? Like, you you have Mendy, you know, Casemiro's been kind of iffy on the ball this season. like And we've seen, like, some of our, you know, bigger defeats these last few years have been against high pressing. It was versus Ajax. It was versus Manchester City. So within that context, like, you know, I kind of see, you know, the justification for it. Yep. So, like, once, once like, Real Madrid started cutting through it and, like, you know, in the moment, it's kind of like you're you're thinking about, like, well, how do you adjust? The funny thing is, right, after that first 15 to 20-minute period, I thought Abar actually did quite well. You know, we still got through on certain instances, but, you know, I thought Abar, like, you know, it— once you're two goals down, like you basically have to do that, right? And ironically, the game state made that necessary for them. And I thought they executed fairly well from there. So, 
you know, the other point Matt was making about just being able to flip the switch was a question I was asking on Twitter about that game, like about the United game, you know, very honestly, because I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a coach. Like, so I don't know, like, obviously it's difficult, but like, you know, that question about, can you just for like in the week of preparation for one game drill, like a lower block and will that work? And, you know, the feasibility of that is questionable, right? Like, you know, Matt, Matt saying like when you, because pressing is all about, yeah, sure. You have an initial game plan, right? And I posted this, you know, Real Madrid Femino played Atletico Madrid Femino yesterday and Atletico Madrid had a really good high press. And I did a video analysis of that. And in that video, like you see, okay, they have a really good game plan. But what happens in pressing is it's a fluid game, right? So your players need to constantly make adjustments. So what you're doing when you're actually training and team pressing wise is it's not just the shape, but you're drilling mentalities into them right? You know, they automatically attack certain pressing triggers. They automatically become more aggressive, right? Like they leap onto certain things that you just wouldn't do in a lower block. So like, could you make that switch within a week? I don't know. Maybe it's possible, right? Zidane certainly does. Zidane's extremely flexible, but you know, that that's kind of like the debate that this kind of like, you know, that this game was like the context is situated in for me. And, you know, I, I do think that approach costed Real Madrid, I mean, Abar in this game, but I don't know if you could have expected, right, if you're Mendilibar to, like, you know, come to this Real Madrid and expect them to, you know, pull out football from, like, three years ago. So, you know, I will say, like, you know, going into it, I think it's hard to criticize him, but in hindsight, right, I do think, like, low block versus Real Madrid is, is the way to go, especially, like, you suddenly realize that Real Madrid are playing this way because that's what we struggle against. It's you know, it's good that we're having this discussion, though, because to suddenly talk about Real Madrid again as like being invincible, basically, versus the high press is something we haven't been able to say for say, say for a while, really. And like, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, some individual performances, which we'll, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Well, it's interesting because you said, you know, at, at basically by the time they were down two goals, maybe they, they felt like that they had to double down on it. I actually thought when they were down 2-0, I thought they it would have made sense to just kind of retreat a little bit and be a little bit less aggressive. And I think when you're talking about going from aggressive high pressing to a lower block, I know it seems like a dramatic tactical change. And, you know, to be to be clear, it is. It's, it's a big switch to flip. But I think just kind of being less aggressive and covering passing lanes a little bit better, suffocating space uh, in the middle a little bit better is not that outlandish. And I think if they had to kind of shift that, even that 2-0... I actually still like their chances of getting something through the counter, whether it be through Brian Hill or or uh, maybe getting Kike on the end of a cross in transition. I don't know. It didn't seem that outlandish to me. And certainly with Kike's crazy goal, you know, that became more of an option when they cut it down in, to 2-1 two, uh, two at halftime. But, you know, they, they, uh, they didn't seem to really need to, to retract it that much and... You know, again, I, I, I think a lot of things had to um, to go Real Madrid's way in order for this to kind of make sense. But I, I do think I, I wanted to highlight a couple things. For the for the second consecutive game, and really, you know, they, Real Madrid have been good the last few few games, but the uh, the last two games, so this one against Abar and then uh, the one the one against Athletic, I think that's something that Real Madrid did really well to evade pressure out of the back was the movement of the wingers. And Benzema, obviously, is kind of like a main 
uh, a main keystone in this and dropping deep and, and helping escape pressure. But both Vasquez and, and today Rodrigo was very good just moving on the wings, tucking in narrow or being like the synergy with their, the wing backs was very good. The one time really Vasquez messed this up, Kike scores the one goal, but that's kind of the ex- exception to the rule. And by the way, there's an example right there of where where Manolibar's press works really well. They win, they, win, uh, they win the ball off Vasquez and they score. But I thought the movement of Vasquez, Rodrigo, Benzema, Modric, these guys, they all moved so well off the ball, dropping deep, providing options. And even though Casemiro lost it a couple times, even he had his moments under pressure today. So, Matt, maybe do you want to just talk about kind of the movement or what you saw yeah. of Zidane's kind of tactics to, to escape the pressure today? Yeah, and when you were talking about that, um, that Lucas kind of when he when he gave up the ball there, kind of going inverted. Uh, I was thinking back to the Athletic Bilbao game as well when that happened when he tried to do that scissor <laughs> in the middle of the field that uh, step over and oh, then lost true. the ball. So yeah, and yeah, so that, got pissed. <laughs> yeah, so that has happened. So just a couple something to keep an eye on for future. But I do think. Um, I do think they did a tremendous job with that. That was a great point, Keon. Like the just switching in and out, inverted. I actually had a note that um, what Carvajal, when we would switch the field, which was something we did so well today. I mean, Cruz, as always, just switching the field to play. Uh, Ramos, like he usually does, hitting those big diagonals. Um, but what what Zidane prefers is to have Lucas uh, Vasquez when we switch it to the right, be all the way wide, and then Carvajal actually takes kind of like an under almost like an underlapping run a central run in the right half space and tries to push that back line back with his run to give more space to Lucas and uh, I've noticed that Zidane preferred even if that means Lucas almost looks like he's the right back playing behind Carvajal uh, he wants him wide to be able to to whip in the cross or create the play from there so I thought that was an an interesting uh, tactical wrinkle and I just think the combination play I mean constantly you're seeing triangles all around the pitch like wherever wherever it may be with whether it was Modric Lucas Vazquez and Carvajal or if it was Rodrigo Benzema Mendy Cruz like they were just creating different patterns and triangles to connect with each other all across the pitch and that helped us break through the press and kind of help um help with our flow just our overall flow and rhythm in the in the offensive third and I think I mean we really really have to highlight just Benzema and his, his movement you talked about him dropping deep to connect play, but also just his movement on like that first goal. Um, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Gosh with the beautiful little slipped in chip pass. Um, and I really think his, his final ball is what separates him from our other youngsters and Benzema. But if you watch that play, Benzema, as soon as he, he gives it and then he goes and he makes a run into the box and kind of directs Rodrigo where exactly he wants it. Um, and he he did the same thing on the Modric pass, the Modric cross where he should have scored, um, and he, he gives it, and then he immediately makes a run towards the back post, and so I just think his movement today was just phenomenal, and I really think Benzema is just an incredible form right now. Um, him, Modric, Cruz, those three are just, uh, especially when they combine together, they're playing so well. I'm really glad you talked about Carvajal's movement in the beginning. So I'll get to Carvajal, but in terms of like this, him moving inside with the winger, Lucas dropping, 
it builds on a theme that I think a lot of things about Zidane's tactics have not been consistent, right? Like that's one of the things we discuss about him is unpredictability. But one thing that is, is especially against pressing, is he just likes to over overload deep areas, right? Like that's what makes, you know, other teams, right? They might like a- attempt to be like a bit more initially vertical with their positioning, right? Like, you know, make more risky passes, you know, through the, you know, through the structure immediately. And, you know, that's certainly one way of doing it. Zidane kind of goes the other way because he wants to be super secure, more gradually move through the press, which, you know, I think has worked really well given Real Madrid's personnel and it worked really well today. And I think what he's doing with the fullbacks is just an extension of that. So I think, I think we saw the most we've seen of it is in this game today, but we've also sort of seen that happen. You know, we've talked about Mendy coming inside, mainly higher up the pitch, but there have been, you know, moments throughout games this season where when we're building out from the back, Mendy will move into half space and Vinicius will kind of drop into the left back position to receive. And this game was really more of that happening on the right hand side, right? As you were mentioning and what that does. And the reason that I'm saying it's kind of an extension of this, you know, over overloading of deep areas is because we already have two central midfielders right in the half space. But what that does is it puts another player to a more central area. And suddenly you have two players deeper, like deeper in your own like area of the pitch to be able to link up and play through the center and be able to retain the ball. So it's just like ensuring that these short passing combinations become even more numerous. Right. And it's not easy for, for a player to take on that role, right? And this is a case of Zidane understanding the superior qualities of his players and taking advantage of it. Because Carvajal, I mean, he played some nasty balls today, man. Like in that 15 minute, in that sequence in the 15th minute, which, you know, Keon praised at, you know, towards the beginning of this pod, which is when we had like the 100 passes we played through and then Benzema missed that chance. You know, Carvajal... It starts off with Carvajal moving into the half space, as Matt mentioned, Lucas dropping. Then eventually, Varane plays a long ball into the half space as Carvajal kind of moves up the pitch. And Carvajal chests it, right? Like, just calmly chests it, you know, into Benzema, I think. They play a combination after that, and then it's a switch to the far side, and then we progress. And the, the second goal came from Carvajal playing this really ballsy, lofted pass into Modric and then we move up the pitch and then we end up scoring like how many other right backs in the world have the lack of fear that Carvajal does under a press which is really important because he's always making cool-headed decisions and then the technical quality you know the spatial intelligence to make all of this come together right like I think he's a really underrated part of Real Madrid's pressure assistance in the past and I was, I'm really glad to see him back you know after that injury and just getting right back into it like I wouldn't say he's the most important factor obviously you know when there's Kroos and Modric it's hard for someone else to be but more and more press resistance is becoming important for fullbacks right because you want to sh- you want to box teams in on the wing you want to target their fullbacks right and you know they can't really be a weak link anymore and not only is Carvajal not a weak link I mean, when we're talking about right backs that can do this job better than him, like really only talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold, right? Like maybe I'm missing someone else, someone else obvious. But yeah, I mean, to me, he was absolutely crucial to some of these sequences that we saw today, you know, from his individual quality. And then also him, you know, just fitting in seamlessly with Sedan's, you know, historical pattern of 
constantly wanting like to pack deep areas against the press to ensure really secure ball retention. Carvajal has been like a huge part of the discussion on the podcast for a few weeks now. Lucas and I spent an entire huge chunk, a huge segment on him, his legacy among Real, Real Madrid left right backs, the importance to the team now, his place as an underrated player right now in world football like and, and we've been talking about he's underrated at some point we just i think we've started to accurately rate him but he is like if ramos is the indispensable like leader like tier one tier a carvajal is is right there kind of like as one a or 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 number two just in terms of his presence and his and you lack you you can see the the lack of leadership when he's not there even if Ramos is there, just kind of the press resistance you spoke about, Om. I also think, <clears throat> going back to that sequence where Benzema misses at the far post, that, it looked beautiful. It looked, in a way, simple. But also, obviously, there's complexity, too, as we kind of, as Om broke it down. That was also frantic. Like, that was frenetic, high pace. Abar are pressing insanely aggressive. And I think if you had like a body cam on every Real Madrid player in that play, it's just sheer, like just pandemonium. Like it's just like, get it, quickly assess how many players are breathing down your neck, quick outlet, wherever it is. Like the Carvajal thing where he brings it down to his chest and then lays it off and then on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And at some point, and then you break it. You know, it's, it's, it's so frantic. It's so frenetic. You know, watching it on TV it looks great and it is great and it's maybe even more impressive about how frantic it actually was and how quick everyone had to think constantly to get out um and there were a few sequences like that i also think we're on the subject of just leadership and underrated and press resistance maybe nothing or no player ties into this discussion better than Sergio ramos who is such an important part of that puzzle um he was great tonight and we can talk about maybe a couple defensive lapses in the second half, but also one in particular, goal-saving one, but also him and Varane clearing everything that Brian Hill like threw into the box. He had eight of eight completed long balls tonight. We can't discount that in terms of just like how important it was to escape the press. I didn't really check to see what it was by the end of it, but his passing remains on point. Um, you know, everything's kind of clicking nicely right now. And Ramos is a big part of that puzzle, and, and so and so is Carvajal. Um, Varane, you know, on on the other side of the spectrum, Varane's passing for a while now, and I, and I actually go back to like even sixteen, seventeen. I remember writing columns about it. His passing is so hit or miss. Tonight he misplaced a bunch of passes and long balls out of the back. Ramos ended up with nine out of nine. Varane six of fifteen. But but Varane, just from a pure defensive perspective, has been has been great, um, if if nothing else. So it, it kind of worked out well defensively tonight. Um, but the team as a whole, led by the leadership of of Carvajal and Ramos, and obviously we're going to get to Modric in a second. Um, and Mendy is another piece of that puzzle. Who tonight was? Correct me if I'm wrong. Did he have any of those kind of classic Mendy giveaways that we've been used to? He even had a couple nutmegs, one on Inui, one on, um, on uh, who was it, the other one? that He had a, I think it was Muto, I'm not sure though. But anyway, he had two nutmegs today, passing it backwards to Cruz. A lot of great cutbacks and crosses. Um, 
you know, so so Ramos and Mendy were were also great. Maybe we should probably thirty five minutes in talk about Luka Modric, who had an amazing half. I'll, I'll highlight the word half because I, you know, I don't know if he was, I, you know, I think Matt was probably correct in saying that second half maybe Cruz was was the one who stepped up a little bit, and obviously Modric left left the, left the field a little bit of a niggle. I don't think it's anything serious. Um, what did you guys make of Modric's performance? You can feel free to start anywhere, um, and we'll start with you. Um. I think. I already said this right on the pod that I think this is his best performance since the 2018 World Cup. Like, the feints, right? Like, I guess we can start there, like, in that moment in transition where he just, I don't I don't know how he does it. Like, he just literally looks the player off. You know, that pass then he makes at the end of that sequence into Lucas, this insane through ball that looks like it's going to go out of play. Yeah. But the waiting on it is so perfect that it just slows down to give Lucas enough time to get to it and cross it like this is what I'm saying like when Real Madrid play like this and when Luka Modric plays like this I don't understand as an opposition team you know what you're supposed to do pressing wise like there's nothing I mean on certain sequences there was but overall there was little structurally and individually wrong going on in terms of the pressing it's just that like they got beat Right. And especially when you're going man to man, everything's one one versus one, then individual superiority matters. And like there wasn't a greater example of individual superiority on a man to man perspective in that half than Luka Modric. Like he he's been a press resistance god forever for for most of his career. It was like when I started to like pay attention to most of these things or some of these things, that was kind of one of the first things I started to notice you know, about players and that being something special outside of just, like, assisting and goal scoring. Like, it was it was literally just prime Modric. I know people have really been enamored with his form since the end of lockdown. I was a little less so in that period. You know, I still thought he was better, but I thought it was more of a case, okay, you know, Modric looked like a zombie beforehand, and now he looks like, you know, a capable football player again. So that's why people are getting excited. But in this, this like, stretch of games... I think the hype is fully justified. To me, this is what Prime Modric used to look like. And that's why, you know, a fairly good press for 45 minutes was not able to contain Real Madrid. Because on that right-hand side, linking up with Carvajal, linking up with Lucas, we had like a press assistance god on the pitch. Now, I, didn't, I didn't think we would... I honestly did not think we would see this again. Like, see peak Modric, like, see this level. I just... I really felt that maybe we would get moments, we would get pieces, like maybe a, a brief glimpse of it here and there throughout his last few seasons. Um, and I felt that way after kind of the Lopetegui year and after the World Cup when he was just so tired. And it, it, that whole season and even um, pretty much most of the season last year, I mean, there were bits and pieces. But I, you just, to your point, Om, you never thought he didn't play this well. Like tonight was... And the last few games as well, he's just been incredible. Tonight was probably the the cherry on top, but he was so so good. And that pat, like even before you talked about that outside of the boot pass, like even right before that play when he was building up, he did that um, touch to get out of the press, like in deep in our own half. It complete one little touch broke um, Ibar's entire press, and I think that's what like that's what makes him so good is like he can do, he creates space for himself, whether it be through those body feints, through a, a simple touch, 
Um, whatever he does, he cre- he manages to slow the game down, create space for himself when it seems like there's no way that you're going to be able to get out of this press, and he manages to do it. And so it was, it was so fun to watch him. And I'm just like I'm, I just can't believe how well he's playing at 35 years old, 10 starts in a row. Um, it really seemed like I guess he was right. He he wants as many games as possible to find his match rhythm. I am. Uh... <clears throat> Or go, or go ahead, I guess. Well, just that I'm, I'm writing about this a little bit in an upcoming column, but there's something that he does, which I think, like, he, he's able to kind of, he he does this thing where he can take a touch a certain way, like a, a like you think he's going one way, takes a touch the other way. Yeah. And he can kind of create two passing lanes when there was only one, like, five seconds prior. And I think those, like, those moments can go under the radar. Like, you know, sometimes we look at his his more obvious ones, like that that through ball to Vasquez that Om just brought up, and some of his shoulder feints, the one that really get you out of the seat. But there are subtle things he does that help the team escape pressure, and it creates new passing avenues for himself, for the team, that I think generally go unnoticed. Um, you know, this is another great Mortis performance. We do wonder, you know... We, what I keep thinking about when I see Mortage play at this level, and I keep looking at the upcoming schedule, and look, there's no easy games in the most cliche way of saying it, but there are no easy games. So I just keep thinking to myself, can we just get these results over with quickly, get a 3-0 lead, then sub him off, bubble wrap him, tape him up, put him in a chamber, and just make sure he's ready in the springtime. That's where my mind immediately goes when I see him playing like this. Because he's been great. And look, I there are questions about Zidane too, uh, which we'll take. And I think like, you know, we'll get into like this roller coaster that is Zidane, or it's like a stretch of bad, bad performances where the team looks really lost, the tactics are out of whack. And then there's stretches where the team plays really well and they answer the call. Um <clears throat> I think one of the things that I didn't expect. And, you know, with Zidane tracking him, you just kind of expect that there is going to be unexpected things because that's just, it's hard to predict what goes on. One of the things I truly did not see coming, if, I, if I'm being really honest, I mean, I didn't kind of, I didn't completely write it off 100%, but I would say I pretty much wrote it off. Just the idea of Cruz, Casemiro, Modric working efficiently again was really yeah. uh, not something that I had too much confidence in going forward. I really wanted to see Fede and, and more of Odegaard. And look, that, that's not to say I still don't want to see more of Fede and Odegaard because I think they're, they're great. And I think they're going to be really important contributors. And look, Moritz and Kroos are not good in getting younger. So at some point, you have to start that transition. So I, I still want to see it. Uh, but I've been really impressed with the way that trio has worked. Casemiro today, um, he did have his customary bad giveaway in the fourth minute. And then I like how... Om labeled this in Slack. So this is how forever how I'm going to label th- this this play. There's always like that typical Casemiro play where he stereotypes everything about him in, in about 10 seconds. So in the 36th minute, he gets badly dispossessed off of, off of getting pressured. And then within seconds, he sprints back and recovers, intercepts the ball, and then Real Madrid win the ball back. So that's, Om called it on Slack, that's classic case hero. Casahiro, however you want to pronounce it. I'm going to just say Casahiro every time it's it's the stereotypical giveaway plus recovery. So he had the case 
Casahiro, a tongue twister, it's a hard one to say. He had the classic Casahiro um, play in this game. Outside of those two giveaways, great low diagonal balls out of pressure to Benzema to switch the play, um, good in- interventions to start the counterattacks a couple times. I think he's been pretty good too. Um, Casemiro seasons usually have roller coasters kind of like in and out of form. You kind of you have to rethink the cost benefit analysis with him constantly. But that the midfield trio has looked really good. So, um, what what did you think of the that trio today? General during the stretch, maybe maybe you also thought that that trio didn't have much left in the tank collectively together on a consistent basis. Have you been impressed, surprised, anything from that midfield? Well, you know, the kind of like, I guess, the general feelings that it's that cycle is coming to to an end, right? And I think obviously it still is, right? Like, you know, father time is undefeated or whatever people like to say. But mainly being that one with Modric, I think Modric was kind of like the big reason we were saying it, right? In the sense that like the dude's gassed, he's 35 years old. And now he he comes out and he plays like, you know, suddenly he's he's 28, you know, 27 years old or whatever. You know, a little bit of it with Casemiro this season because I think the exhaustion of 2019-20 has taken a toll on him. These past few games, we start to see the old Casemiro a little bit. I thought today was his best on-ball game of the season. You know, he had some of his customary giveaways, but especially in the second half, you know, some really nice movements to break pressure, there was one moment where like, you know, he receives in a really tough area in like the left half space and just kind of like takes a nice touch out of it and then plays a switch pass that gets Ramadur going. That's not something you see Casemiro do often. You'll see him play diagonals, but not kind of like, you know, arriving from that situation. I thought his one touch passing throughout, you know, was relatively sharp. And so, yeah, I mean, if Casemiro, you know, gets gets back you know, into his normal form. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I expect this on-ball performance from every game, but, like, defensively, which, you know, I've critiqued him for this season, then, you know, this this trio definitely has life. But, you know, as I'm sure we'll see in, like, you know, not just the upcoming games, but, like, the next 15, 20 games, like, you know, it's a long season, and, you know, we're going to need Odegaard and Valverde at some point, right? Like, I, you know, who knows? Maybe Modric continues to play really well, but... There, there will be ups and downs, right? He still is 35. And, like, you know, as much as I'm enjoying the renaissance and the fact that they've proved that, you know, the trio still works, right? In the back of my mind, there's still, like, you know, how do you manage the transition? Because even if it's not now, no matter what, we'll, we'll have to figure that out. And so that's my thoughts on that. And then real quick, because we've already kind of moved on from it, I don't know, we'll get back to it. But what I wanted to say about Modric was, you know, about him in this game was... And we talked about his touches, his press resistance, but in the last podcast, I talked about how he just always seems to show up in the right areas to provide solutions for Real Madrid and offense. So in the last game, that meant him being a crossing threat from the left wing. Today, it just seemed to be like him. It, it was more of just like a jack-of-all-trades thing. So in the first goal, which was the counterattack, Abar had actually recovered well, if you guys remember, in the sense that they had numbers behind the ball when Rodrigo had had possession on the left wing. And then Modri just comes out of nowhere, receives in the half space, and keeps the entire thing going. And then obviously, on the chance that Benzema misses, Modric is the one who, like, you know, fakes inside and delivers the ball, you know, right onto Benzema's head, a beautiful cross. So, like, that, this space investigation kind of, like, thing about him that, like, 
Xavi was really so good at. Like, I mean, I, I guess we kind of forgotten now because like it's been a while, but like Modric really is one of the most complete midfielders of all time. There's like basically nothing he can't do. And he was just a solution for everything you, you needed, you know, on a football pitch in his prime. And, you know, we saw that today. So I got uh, two things. One, I want to add to that Modric discussion, but on the Casahiro play, I couldn't help but think of this. Um, you know that meme where um, it's like the big brain meme where like it lights up at, through each phase and like it lights up even more once you get to the end? You know <laughs> what I'm talking about? Yeah, the galaxy. Yeah, so uh, I was thinking like, what if Casemiro purposely, like he's masterminding it, he purposely... <laughs> loses the ball in dangerous situations so that he can win it back and then create a better transition opportunity. <laughs> like that's Pete Casemiro masterminding this. Or just padding um, his tackling stats. Like it's like yeah. it's like when Russell Westbrook wants to chase a triple double, he's one rebound shy. He'll like throw a brick just so he can catch the ball and get a rebound. <laughs> that's probably the equivalent exactly. of that. Yeah. And um and then on Modric, I don't know if you guys think this uh or seeing the same thing because I looked at the stats and uh, his XG per 90 is more or less kind of the same as it's been in previous years. Um, But I feel like he's getting into lately, getting into better goal scoring opportunities and um, just scoring more goals. He already has three goals on the season. He had five for for the season last year. I just feel like he's getting into better spots and taking more shots. I don't know if I'm just seeing that. That's interesting. I don't know. I think it's just kind of right as of right now, I think it's just a function of him being on song. And like what I was mentioning earlier in terms of just being able to pop up anywhere the team needs him to be like literally like filling any kind of structural gap that needs to be filled, including if that means getting on the end of a cutback to, to fire up a shot like he did for the second goal. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a function of that. But honestly, like, you bringing that up is the first time, like, I've really, like, had to sit back and think about it. So maybe there's something deeper to it. I'm not sure. Okay, well, let's do a quick, like, just a very quick um, deep dive, which is kind of an oxymoron itself. It's not really a deep dive. But his XG this season so far is actually um, lower. It's the second lowest of his Real Madrid career. Which, again, these numbers don't really mean anything because we're 14 games into the, the league season. And also, um, his XG generally has... It's actually never been higher than three for an entire season. Um, so, it's hard to if say. If you look at it on a per 90 basis, though, he's actually... And if you incorporate the Champions League, he's actually maybe slightly... Or he'd probably at like his... He's probably right at what his best was. Okay. Um, yeah. On, but it's on like it's it's game. marginal, isn't it? Yeah. He does have three goals this season, like you said. His yeah. his most ever in a league season, I believe, was five. So he is on course to having, bar his um, his stint at Zagreb when he scored seventeen goals in one season, he is on course to to having his best goal scoring season since two thousand eight. Because he's never scored more than five goals in a season, even when he went to Tottenham. So this he is on pace. He is on pace. We'll, we'll monitor it, Matt. We'll see. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that stat. Um, I do think Abar's defending on him was shambolic for that goal. Like, just for all the good of they did in the press, 
even though it didn't really work out in their favor, obviously. That entire sequence leading up to the to the Modric goal, which great finish from Modric, great movement. Um, Benzema and Vasquez also deserve a lot of credit for that goal. Benzema's fluidity, kind of just dragging defenders out wide, then hitting Vasquez going down the flank. Vasquez winning the ball back in the bounce. Benzema with that kind of like dribble dribble sorcery, almost Atletico-esque in the Champions League, cuts it back to Modric perfectly. Rewind the tape from the entire start of the play. Modric was never marked once. And even when he's just kind of like hanging out at the top of the box, Avar just completely refused to, to even get close to him, not even trying to block the shot. So... Um, so maybe outliers like that will expedite the process of Modric getting into goal-scoring positions. I just don't know how prevalent that will be. Um, so we'll keep an eye on it, Matt. Um, well, I think just to add, quickly add to that, I just think his movement, because he's he's so hard to track because he goes, I mean, he like Ohm said, he goes where the team needs him and he kind of pops up in all these different positions and it's not... He's not set to just being on the in the right half space or the left half space. I mean, he kind of roams where he pleases, and so it makes it a little bit more difficult, especially if you're um, when you're when Ibar's back defending and they're kind of passing the player on. If they don't communicate well, which they didn't in this game, I mean, same thing with Benzema's runs; they didn't communicate at all. So that's that does create opportunities for him. It was interesting to see just kind of looking at Real Madrid's heat map in the first half, it was interesting to see how pinned they were. And and also, like, maybe extra interesting because when we're looking at that first half, before I looked at any stats, looked at any heat maps, anything, my takeaway was that this was one of the best halves Real Madrid played all season. Certainly one of the most fun, most entertaining, two of the best performances from Benzema and Modric, and they've been great already this season, so that's saying a lot. But also, everyone was playing well, generally speaking. Um, but it was interesting to look at the heat map after watching it and seeing how deep Real Madrid were, especially when you look at the fullback situation, because Carvajal and Mendy, or anyone who plays wingback for Real Madrid, generally their heat map is in the final third. And tonight... <clears throat> Abar pinned pinned everyone, but I but it it goes hand in hand with Real Madrid's press resistance and the way they escaped their half and the way they got up the field. Very dangerous moments that they created through their transition and counterattacking. Excuse me. Um, I I don't have COVID, despite what it sounds like. I actually got tested, but um, it's been uh, it's been a rough couple sleepless nights. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I, um, I need you to take over while I take a drink. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I guess we can just talk about Benzema. Like it's funny we're like 50 minutes in, we still haven't talked about the second half. But you know, let's go with it because we we spent all that time at Modric, we spent all that time at Carvajal. Kian kind of like took us into that already. Benzema was a huge piece of the press resistancy puzzle, right? Like, I, it's almost like Carvajal from defense, Modric in midfield to Benzema up top in the first half. And this is like, the these types of games are the reason Benzema exists almost. It's why the footballing gods created him. You know, it's like, why Zidane like puts his faith so much in Benzema, you know, no matter like what his form is like, you know, it's because, okay, you have all of these things behind him. 
but he also will pop up like Modric wherever you need him to be to solve any kind of structural problem. I mean, his his link-up play was beautiful. His one-touch play was beautiful. His dribbling was on point. His passing, you know, and transition was on point, which I know Keon has criticized like, in games earlier this season. Like, it, it, it was also probably his best game of the season, you know, coming off the back of, you know, Zidane calling him the greatest French striker of all time, which, you know, I think it was kind of necessary for Benzema to have this performance. Otherwise, people would be all over him. But, you know, like the timing of all of it is just, you know, super nice from the narrative perspective to the fact that we were playing against like a super aggressive pressure systems team. And, you know, we've talked about Benzema and how he does this so much. This is why, like, you know, we've defended him quite a bit in the past because he has these qualities that many, many other, you know, center forwards don't. And people always ask, well, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? And, and this is the point. You know, this is what he can do to an opposition defense when they try to pin you back, when you need someone to provide an outlet up front. And guess what? At the same time, he can also go forward and score goals. And yes, you know, the only blip of, of on him on the on the day was, you know, him missing that chance that he probably should have put away. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, like a really, really good performance. And he obviously did end up getting the goal that immediately put Abar back on the back foot. And he also had two assists in this game. I mean, he right. has seven goals, five assists in his last 12 appearances. So 12 and 12. I mean, the guy's just delivering. That's that's what he's been doing since Cristiano departed. And he continues to bring it. And I think, uh, I mean, just the setup for Modric's goal mm-hmm. was was beautiful. I mean, great work on the flank cuts it to the byline, and then cuts it back for, for Modric. And, I mean, the other thing, too, from this game is, one, he had that goal, but it was called off sides. And, I mean, that was close. I think that was really, really close. And then uh, at the start of the second half, he also gets played through by Sergio Ramos. It was ultimately called off sides, but he nearly curls that one in as well. So uh, he was unlucky, unlucky not to get another goal, not just that, that <laughs> header that he missed, but those of offsides plays that were very marginal um so i mean his just all-around game everything he brought today was was he was right up there with modric for me i mean he was he was incredible yeah the disallowed goal had very like burkamp world cup 98 against argentina vibes or hernan crespo versus real Madrid 2000 vibes where that the outside of the boot finish curling to the far post was really pretty um did you guys know, just off the top of your head, without looking at the stats, if you haven't already seen this, how many passes do you think Inui had today? Oof. I don't know. Or, uh, maybe 20? Eight. Eight passes. What? In 71 minutes, eight passes. Um, Asensio, wow. who was a ghost, had, I think, eight passes in his, in his time off the bench. Um. Do you guys want to give an ode to Brian Hill? I, I like his game. Um, this is not an easy game to play in if you're Abar offensively because <clears throat> if you're relying on winning the ball high up the pitch with your press to create chances, there was only so much of that to feed off of. The other source of offense was really Brian Hill, and he's going up against Vasquez and Carvajal, who together as a tandem are very hard to attack because they suffocate so much space together. They hound well together. They team up together. What did you guys think of Brian Hill's performance? Well, I mean, he was part of the reason that Inui had so few chances, right? Because Abar were funneling all of their attack to the left wing to kind of take advantage of him. He's been a sort of a revelation for them this season. 
you know, if you if you want to know more about him, go and read Jose's preview because he he does like a good paragraph on how important he's been for them this season. He was good. Like it's it's one of those performances where you need someone to just step up and try to be a hero. You know, do some things themselves. He had three completed dribbles on four attempts. He put eleven crosses into the box. Only one was successful, but I think a lot of that had to do with how good Varane and Ramos were in in defending the area, as you mentioned earlier, Keon. So. I, I was impressed with what he was doing. He was positive. He was trying to make things happen in a way that, like, a young 19-year-old player often tries to do. You know, he kind of reminded me of, like, you know, I mean, he's too young to say this, but, like, he kind of reminded me of Peak Vinicius a little bit with kind of his positivity, his willingness to take players on and make things happen. And, you know, if Abar were going to get back in the game in terms of, like, equalizing or, you know, moving in front in terms of the scoreline, I thought it was going to come from him. And I, I mean, I've heard a lot, um, like a lot of chatter around him, and I haven't been able to really watch Ibar play. So I was interested to see how he would perform, and um, he was great. And I think, Keon, you make a, a really good point, is that he was playing against Carvajal and Lucas Vasquez. Like, that's a formidable defensive tandem. And the one cross that he did get off, he actually split the two of them, uh, and it put it, like, on a dime somehow, even though the the box was congested to uh to Yoshimutu so he he was impressive for sure I, I liked what I saw and uh, definitely an exciting talent um I thought he was great too I, I was impressed with him I was impressed with his turns and stuff obviously like everyone this the thing now is like everyone says he looks like Johan Cruyff and I, I they literally mean he looks like Johan Cruyff like his face and hair look like Johan Cruyff um but he had some nice turns in this game, and stylistically, um, he's he's kind of a, he's a fun player to watch. Um, I'm interested to see how his career pans out, and whether he goes back to Sevilla, I'm sure he will, because Abar's not going to be able to keep him. But uh, be interested to see how that pans out for him. Um, did you guys notice anything at halftime? Was there a switch flipped with Abar? I know that Real just fullbacks got into the final third a little bit more. But um, I'm curious to know what your assessment was in the second half of of what changed. I think what changed was everyone was gassed as hell. It was like the first half was in a sense almost too good to be true in terms of a spectacle perspective, especially in like the pandemic era, like uh, congested schedule, like insane high pressing, like one touch passing beauties all over the pitch, like. Obviously, we know Abar is going to get tired, but like the mental and physical strain in, in terms of like to play as a press resistance side, right? Like pressing just put makes both teams, you know, expend a, a tremendous amount of energy. Obviously, the pressing side a little more, but if you you are a good press resistance team, you're constantly making movements off the ball. You can't rest, especially against something that's this intense. You're like mentally, you're as focused as you can be, and the brain drains far more energy than we ever give it credit for, like. The second half, I think, you know, there was, there was, I think it was just attempts from both sides to replicate what happened in the first half, which, you know, the energy was okay, you know, maybe the first 10 minutes, the second half. But like, you know, after we got like past the 70 minute point, like nothing was happening anymore until like that end chance that um, Ramos like stopped and then we scored. Like it's, it's hard to sustain the level and intensity of play that happened. And really like, I guess it sounds super simplistic, but I think the physical reasons just affected things like the, what I thought was the problem in a bars press in the first half, you ended up seeing in the second half. 
um, where they were having trouble with Casemiro. So, like, obviously we know Casemiro has weaknesses under pressure or whatever, but you can't literally just leave him open to receive a pass, right? An overload, turn, and then make a decision. Like, he's a professional footballer. He'll he'll drop dimes from those situations all day, right? So, in the first half, they were doing a fairly decent job from man-to-man perspective to, like, shade or, or split the difference, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, between the far side center back and Casemiro and create pressing access to him. And the second half, you just more and more, as as it wore on, they just didn't have that, right? Because it's super tiring to have to shuttle back and forth, you know, between Casemiro, between Varane and Ramos, like hand him off to the other player. And at a certain point, your legs are just going to die on you. And you're just like, you know, like, do, do I really got to do this? And, and that's when Casemiro started to have some of his better passing in that moment because, you know, like... If, if you're not going to, like, put pressure on him in a calculated way, I mean, he's going to be just fine. And so I think that, you know, kind of affected them a little bit. And they start and that from there, they started to maybe, you know, lower their line of engagement a little bit. And, you know, I guess be, to Abar's credit, because the environment they created, Real Madrid didn't really, I guess, take advantage of it in the way you'd think, because I think we got gassed as well. And then obviously when Modric goes off, you know, whether it's for a niggle or whatever, I think he was also getting pretty tired. A lot of people on Twitter mentioned that Benzema was looking gassed as hell. Like, put all those factors together, and I think that's just what led to a more subdued half. Like, the first half caused the second half, essentially. Yeah, I think it's fair to to put it down to fatigue. Um, I think, I mean, you just, you immediately noticed that the second half was sloppy. It was just a sloppy start. I, I think back to that Ramos um, square ball across the goal that he played. And Inouye latches onto it and shoots instead of squaring it uh, back to, I think, maybe it was Yoshi there. Um, but, like, that was a really dangerous opportunity. It just came down to lack of concentration. And there were, there were a lot of moments like that. And, and you could really – you could tell that the team slowed down. Um, and so I think it, it does come down to, to fatigue. I think the one player who probably didn't slow down was Cruz. And, I mean, I think of that brilliant, brilliant ball Cruz played to Rodrigo for that 1v1, and unfortunately, he missed. Um, we all expected him to score because we think of Rodrigo being so clinical compared to Vinicius, but um, he, he, he probably should have done better there in that in that opportunity. But it was brilliant play from Cruz to play that ball. He even, um, I had a note on when he, like, juggled it over. I can't remember which player's head it was, but he juggled it over an Ibar player's head before uh, keeping possession and moving the ball along. Like, he, he really, he stood out for me out of everyone in the second half. And he was probably one of the few people who didn't tire. Yeah, the next evolution in kind of what I would love to see for, in time for a post-game podcast anyway, is uh, passes per defensive action updated on understat like after the game. So you could sort it through the difference between the first half and the second half just to see kind of like the actual, the numbers behind the press intensity and and what's going on there. <clears throat> But uh, I, I guess we can't be too picky. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of spoiled as it is. It could be better, but I think that's the next evolution I'd like to see. Um, what else? Keon hoping that the person who owns Understat is listening to this podcast. I gave up. The, I, I just, with who scored, it has to be Understat. I'm done with who scored. Who scored needs investors to, like, just <laughs> move to, like, a WordPress or, like, collaborate with somebody to, like, create a new website because that thing just crashes when you click on it yeah. i'm done with who scored 
but I need who scored. So I don't, I'm not done with it, but I will use it until something, a better interface. It sounds kind of like a toxic relationship yeah. here. I don't know. Yeah, I, I need it, unfortunately, but uh, I can't live without it. But, you know, if a, if a better website comes along, I'll, I'll, I'll happily part ways. Um, what else did you guys want to... We actually have a few questions too, but uh, is there anything else from the game that you guys wanted to talk about? Well, we already kind of mentioned it, but like real quick with some of those defensive interventions from Ramos. So like, I think this was actually the first one was before he ended up making that stupid pass um, where like, you know, Matt, Matt was being a hater and saying like in that sequence, he shouldn't have kept the man on side. And it was like, a, it was like some weird counterattacks, you know, lots of second ball situation where they just bomb, you know, a pass up field and Ramos just, you know, I guess stretches out his leg and just takes it away, like, and then denies the one versus one. And then obviously there's there's the moment at the end where I thought I thought the man was clean through and Ramos just stops the shot that I think was angled pretty well and had a decent chance of beating Courtois. And, like, in my mind, he literally saved two do there and, and gave us the three points. And then obviously a minute later we go and score. So we've... I don't know. Since since the nineteen twenty season, I think we've we've covered Ramos and like how good he's been defensively. Like enough. I just think this is just more evidence. Like more evidence that despite maybe some physical physical decline here and there, like we talked about last game, his experience, right, his confidence, like in 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 knowing that he'll make the right decisions more often than not. Like it's just a huge boon and he makes a massive difference. And then you know that on top of the on ball ability that we talked about in the first half, like. He just remains easily one of the best defenders in the world. And I'll, I'll take it for as long as it lasts because I, in my mind, I still can't figure out what a, what a defensive line without Sergio Ramos looks like at Real Madrid. Yeah, my only gripe um, on that 90th minute block, and it, it, I looked I looked at it again after uh, we, we talked about it in Slack, and I... It, it's not necessarily Ramos's fault. Like he and Mendy could have stepped up, or Casemiro and Varane could have uh, dropped off. But either way, the line was totally. Uh, I actually posted the picture on my Twitter. Like the the line was totally. Um, there was two separate lines between the two, and so they were not in sync at all. And that's what kind of caused the problem there on that on that play. But it was crazy. I mean, it was just like the last game against Athletic Bilbao, where we nearly conceded in the 90th minute. We would have dropped a point in a game we probably should have won despite uh the other team having their moments and playing well and then we go like seconds later we go down the other side and, and score so it was kind of eerily similar and creepy how how sim- how similar those two plays were <clears throat> yeah well we you know when om says i don't know what this team looks like without ramos well we've seen it a couple times unfortunately a couple disastrous times um, at least a couple disastrous times where we we just see what it looks like without him and 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 Varane's kind of passing still worries me a little bit, kind of post Ramos. But yeah, he was great. That tackle on Bigas in the box was incredible. Like it was the 91st minute, literally goal saving, phenomenal challenge. Um, thought he was thought he was great overall. Do we need to talk about the handball? I guess we can oh, mention yeah, it. I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot too. Um, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I didn't see it that many times, and to be honest, I always say this because regardless of the decision is for or against Real Madrid, like, the stuff just doesn't interest me the way it interests other people, but it, it kind of looked like a penalty to me, like, you know, his L was out, it, you know, it blocked the cross from coming in, like, 
I would I guess I would have given it like I'm surprised that and it's they've always been inconsistent with this but I'm surprised they didn't call it Tavar and so yeah I mean people really <clears throat> mad on it you know into the Calderon you know but they're good guys they were having fun with it you know on their Twitter you know calling it a scandal and everything but you know I can kind of understand that because in my mind it did seem a penalty but I know no one agrees on these things so what do you guys think I I mean, I haven't watched it multiple times over, but when I saw it, I did think it was a handball just because it looked like his arm was away from his body. Um, and so it looked like it was in an unnatural position, and that's why I thought it it may have been a handball. I think it's it could have gone either way. Uh, I could I could see it being given. I could see it not giving not being given. We the missed... coward's answer. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what the coward's answer is? Is is Zidane's cop-out go-to answer every time he says... <laughs> he just says, oh, I didn't see it. I haven't had a chance to see it. That's what he... It's, it's the greatest cop-out answer ever is any time he's asked about refereeing decisions at the posting press conference, he just says, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Um, no, I, I. you know, like the thing with the handball... And by the way, Real Madrid, there was two handballs that... They 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 should have gotten against Athletic, that were more obvious than this one that was that was missed or quote unquote missed. Um, the handball rule again across Europe is so inconsistently called in so many different ways. There's it's vague. The rules are vague. It's not clear, and uh, everyone calls it differently. So you know I I don't have much to add to it. Again I I agree it doesn't interest me either. I will say. <clears throat> Especially after that Rodrigo miss in the 67th minute. Rodrigo got two good chances. The one that sticks out is the 67th minute one where Cruz plays him in brilliantly. And all Rodrigo has to cut it, do is to cut it back to make that 3-1. And he, he shoots instead. And it was an annoying moment because he, he he's had such a good game. But in that, in that moment, he made the wrong decision. I started to feel a little bit uneasy about, you know, it. This game has been such a good performance until now. They haven't taken their chances like they should have. <clears throat> it wasn't that far away from a 2-2. Did you guys feel that way? Or did you guys feel kind of pretty confident about how this game was going? I definitely thought about tweeting. Did I, I can't even remember what I did, but I definitely thought about... Well, no, I tweeted, What is? imagine what the discourse looks like 10 minutes from now if Abar scores. Because... I don't know if I thought they were especially threatening. I could just see a classic scenario where they just made something happen, right? Especially after they scored that long range shot, but coming from a mistake from our end, you know, maybe some more individual brilliance from them. Like whenever your team misses chances like that, there's always just that feeling that, you know, the other team could get back in it. So I definitely wasn't comfortable ending the game, even though it became rather low event. And I, I thought it had come true when, you know, it was a one versus one, and then Ramos ended up stopping it. So, like, yeah, I, I kind of had that similar feeling. I'm pretty, I'm sure a lot of other Madrid fans did as well, because that's that's just the thing about being a Real Madrid fan is you're like always kind of waiting for you know a defense to collapse, no matter like you know whether they've been playing well or not. Yeah, no, I I I was very concerned. I thought <laughs> we because. We've seen that script before, right? Where we we miss these opportunities, and then um, Ibar goes and scores, and it nearly happened. Nearly happened in the 90th minute. Um, so it, I mean, you you want to make sure that the team's clinical, taking their chances. But at, I felt like I felt like it would have been unjust if we didn't get the, get the three points, though. And maybe 
maybe that's harsh on Ibar, but I just thought we played so well those first 20 minutes and we created enough opportunities, even if you, I mean, obviously the offsides uh, disallowed goals and those opportunities don't come up in the XG, but I felt like those were so marginal that if you're making those types of runs and creating those types of opportunities, they can still come up, uh, come up again. And I felt like we created enough that we definitely deserved it. All right, let's take questions. <clears throat> this will take us in some some different directions. So patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. You get access to bonus content. Um, Thursday mailbags, Tuesday loan trackers, bonus post-game shows for midweek Champions League La Liga Copa del Rey games, which are coming up soon. So all of that over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Al, our patron, says, hey, guys, great work. It was mentioned in the podcast before the Sevilla game that the team still needs some work and that if they won the Champions League game, it would only be like placing a Band-Aid on the team. Does the team still have the same issues as before or did Zidane fix them? I still think... uh... I still think a lot of the issues are, are still there. Um, I, I do think we have fixed some things, and I think form has fixed some things. And I, um, But I think the defense has really shaped up a lot better. Even today, I noticed that we, we didn't talk about that Mendy uh, interception or tackle after the corner kick, but notice it was Mendy back there and not Modric and Lucas. I was really happy to see Zidane made that change. Uh, he actually had Mendy and Carvajal at the back to mop up anything that happened on set pieces. So, like, even small things like that, like, that's that's a change, and that's that's a change in the right direction. Um, and I, I think def- defensively we've been a lot more sound. I think Casemiro's kind of playing in that role that he played last year that was so successful, and he's taking up that pseudo fifth center back role defensively when we need him to and really covering the right spots and playing closer to the back four. So I think that's been a good change. Um, the one thing I still think that it's been the issue for this team for so long, for years, is just – and it's it's been better. It's been better. Um, but even against Sevilla, how many clear-cut opportunities did we create? It's creating, creating goal-scoring opportunities, creating good chances, um, having goals come from more than just Benzema. I think those are going to be – those are going to continue to be the things that we need to work on, especially when we play against a low block. I think we're going to continue to see us really struggle to break that down until we start to implement different patterns and different uh, tactical wrinkles to, to, to break it down. So I think that some things have improved. I mentioned – the last couple of games about the way we've attacked the box, making more clever runs into the channels. I think that's good. But in terms of large underlying reasons for why Real Madrid have played the way they played, I think it's just Zidane's old formula just coming back to life a little bit. A lot of that having to do with the old players who fit his old formula, like Modric coming back to life. So I think in the present moment, it's largely just the plan that worked before working again in a way that it maybe hasn't even when we won the league last season. And I think, I mean, that's fine, right? Like if, if that formula works, it works. The question has always been like, 
will it continue with the sustainability question? I mean, we already kind of touched on to this, right? The need to transition eventually at some point, whatever that point is, to transition to a kind of new new players who will then necessitate a new way of playing. And so this this idea of like getting more in semi-transition, being a bit more vertical, everything Matt said about the low block, and then, you know, making that successful transition, you know, to Odegaard, to Jovic, has that, you know, has that way of doing things kind of been solved? And, you know, I'm I'm not sure about that, right? Like, I think that is still kind of the major question going forward. And, you know, it seems like we always say this, but it, that's just the life of a manager, that every challenge that comes next is their most difficult of their career. And this, this I think, is the most difficult of Zidane's career is, you know, with Jovic and Odegaard coming back, how do I fit them in and fit them in in a way that, like, also transitions the way I'm playing? You know, because what we've seen recently is just... That's why I said they look like 2016-17 Madrid, because that's the way we played, right, with those players. So that, to me, is the big question. And because of that, I'm not sure anything has really changed so far. And maybe if, if Modric plays like this for the rest of the year, it doesn't. But we'll see. I, I, I don't know how many people would actually put their money on that. I think at some point, we're going to need Ovich, we're going to need Odegaard. How does that happen? And, you know, does he integrate them well? Yeah, I mean, we're really, at this point, we're kind of talking about four consecutive games, right? So Borussia, Atletico, Athletic, and then tonight against Abar. I think there are certain things that have been good, certain things that haven't been so good, and some things have been great. Um, when we're talking about kind of maybe some of the up and down stuff, like against Atleti, for example, Lucas Vazquez really struggled, and so did Vinicius, um, offensively anyway, because Atleti are so good at taking that space away. Athletic... Before Raul Garcia's red card, we were talking about how difficult it was to escape pressure. So you kind of saw that improvement today. And and then when at, when Raul Garcia did get his red card, there were struggles breaking down a lower block. But against Atletico and Atletico, where the defense was really good, you saw better movement from the team. You saw more fluidity, which I think helped. And you also saw conversion of crosses, which has not been necessarily the norm. I think a constant throughout these four games. There have been a few. The few constants have been Modric and Cruz have been awesome. Benzema too. So those are three constants that have, like the uptick in form in those three. The other one is that Carvajal is back. Carvajal's presence in the team, which we don't need to add more. We've already talked so much extensively about it, is huge. Ramos is back. You know, those two. And Varane, from a defensive standpoint, has been awesome for some time now. Mendy, his kind of his ball control and all that has been up and down, but defensively it's been a constant. So those are some of the reasons why the defense has been good. And Modric, Cruz, and Benzema being in the form they're in, that's been a constant which has helped the team both defensively and offensively. And so I so I think it's a it's a little bit of a roller coaster. It's a great stretch. You know, some of the questions from journalists Zidane today and yes uh, against Athletic last week were kind of like, well, you were good against Borussia and Atletico, but you struggled today. And I think that's kind of a harsh assessment. I think these are difficult games regardless. And I think Real Madrid have done really well. I think, you know, the preparation has been pretty well on point for these four games. And people are in good form. So I think that's that's been good. So I guess if the question is, um, does the team still have the issues as before? Does Zidane fix them? I think Zidane's fixed a lot of stuff here in the stretch. I also think he's been a little bit lucky with getting some of the um, the players back that he's had. And um, 
ultimately, I think everyone deserves a little bit of praise for this. <clears throat> um, we'll see yeah. what what happens and moving forward. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Yeah. The other big thing is um, the lack of rotations. Zidane now has his fully fit team, but he's still playing the same, his strongest 11 week in, week out. I mean, not even week in and week out, every match, every two, three days. So I think that's that's made a difference as well, just because it's, one, it's your strongest 11, it's your best players. And two, um, these guys are able to develop match rhythm, form, create these, uh, just build off the last match. Like Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Kareem Ben, they're building off the last match. Uh, so I do think that makes a massive difference. Whether or not it's sustainable for an entire season is, is a different question. Question from our patron Ian Marley. He says, is it me or is Rodrigo also a bit unlucky not to have more Real Madrid goals on his resume? I always pay attention to his movement and he always finds these really good pockets of space in and around the box, but a pass rarely comes his way. His traits make him more of a left forward than a left winger or a striker. What do you guys think? Well, I'm happy the question is about Rodrigo because we didn't really discuss him in the earlier part of the podcast, maybe in anticipation of this question, saving our thoughts for this. I was really happy with his performance. I've been crying out for Rodrigo to get a proper game on the left wing for a very long time now because I think he's a bit of a different player there. Like, yeah, I mean, on the right wing, you have a player who's a good crosser, makes solid decisions. I understand why Zidane wants him. You know, also, like, our right wing options aren't amazing. Like, basically, Lucas Vasquez has had to turn back the clock for us for, for that position to look good for us again. But Rodrigo, yeah, I mean, he has that movement that, that Ian is talking about, but I also see that on the right wing, what I like about him on the left and why, you know, why I'm not, you know, super clear on this distinction being made between left forward versus left wing is I think his dribbling comes alive on the left wing, right? His, some of his, you know, him dipping inside, cutting inside happened with multiple people draped around him. I can't remember what this was, this was this on the first goal? I can't remember, but like there was one, I, it was on one of the goals, maybe the first or the second, but one of them happens with Rodrigo, you know, doing extremely well to hold off a player, you know, really good core strength and ball control to cut inside and then play a pass. Like what that does is it just opens up a whole other array of passes and decisions for him to make because he's a player that enjoys cutting inside and is a player who's extremely capable of doing so, you know, regardless of what the defense throws at him, and it just makes him a far more dynamic player. And, you know, it's a similar thing with Vinicius. I think the reason Vinicius wasn't so good on the right wing is because he's not as consistent a player as Rodrigo, right? So, like, you know, it's it's, it's Rodrigo's, like, the fact that you know what you're going to get from him kind of, like, vibe that makes him better there. And also he has, like, a better final product. But, you know, both Rodrigo and Vinicius are similar when they play on the left in the, in the, the way they like to initiate things. And the commentator... On being sports like Enye, like kind of said that Rodrigo and Vinicius are extremely different, right? Rodrigo is not very involved and he'll make the difference in the final third. I guess you can put it that way. But to me, I thought that undersold what Rodrigo was able to do in this game. Like, sure, his positioning was quite high. He was more of an outlet. But, you know, his touches, you know, his involvement in higher link up was extremely good. And I think that's what you get out of him when playing on the left wing, he becomes much more of a complete player and his influence as soon as he's able to see the rest of the field is really good. And I, I don't know if you guys saw it that way, but I, I want to see more of this, right? Especially if Vinicius is going to continue to struggle, Ryan Hazard, you know, continues to have his injury issues. 
and Lucas remains good on the right-hand side, right? So we don't have to worry about that position. I want Rodrigo to get an extended run here because I just think he's a different player. And when we talk about his sky-high potential, that's the position where it really comes out for me because I, I don't know how much more he really does on the right wing, right? Like, okay, he can continue to put in better crosses. Maybe, you know, he gets into better goal-scoring situations. But in terms of, like, impacting the game all around, in my opinion, that comes from the left wing. Yeah, I think his, I mean, I don't agree with, uh, you may have had a different being feed than I did, but I don't agree with that commentator because I think his link-up play on the left wing is is really strong. I think that's what uh, that's what I noticed more so than him on the right wing is just his ability to connect more with, with especially Tony Cruz and Kareem Benzema. He had some really great give-and-goes, uh, quick one-twos to get it, get, it, get it and give it. And so I think... Um, I was looking actually, and he has six assists already for this season, but just one goal. So I guess the question Ian's asking is, is he a bit unlucky not to have more Real Madrid goals? I, I mean, even today, I think he should have scored that that 1v1. He should have scored. And so maybe, yeah, maybe he should have more goals. But let's say he's already at six assists, which is pretty incredible. Um, if he can get to like double digits, maybe 10 assists, and then five, six goals, that's an incredible season from a 19-year-old. So um, I think I, I'm, I've been really impressed with Rodrigo. I think he's, um, he's, he, he brings a little bit more polish. Uh, I mean, I just, I like, I think as of t- today and with his recent performances, he probably deserves to start over Vinicius right now. Um, uh, but that's not, it's not to say one's better than the other. I just think his form is better right now. And Rodrigo, by the way, three out of three completed duels tonight. I don't have much to add to that. I think you guys pretty pretty much summed it up. I think Rodrigo's best position is on the left, and I don't disagree with the notion that he couldn't play that kind of like left center forward type role or even false nine in certain situations. He is he is good and kind of cerebral in understanding where to be to get into goal scoring positions, but also the right play to make. And the one the t- the one today where he he shot it instead of cutting it back. That one actually was a little bit of an outlier and kind of surprising that he took that route. I actually would have expected just based on his track record so far that he would have made the right play. Um, I do agree that he is, I guess kind of the problem is, if you can call it that, is that he has been, apart from Lucas, who is in a great stretch of form now, that wasn't always the case for Lucas, but in a lot of ways, Rodrigo being one of the more productive right wingers has hurt him. It's like it's hurt him that Vinicius can't play on the right because um because Zidane just trusts Rodrigo to play at the right more than someone like Vinicius does, right? Um and same with Asensio not performing on the right. You know, you kind of slide Rodrigo in there. And just that Rod- Vinicius can't play on the right and Asensio not performing, that has kind of hurt Rodrigo's ability to play on the left a little bit. Because he's like kind of the guy you have to put there. Um, the other thing, obviously, that hurts him is that Vinicius and Hazard both play on the left. So I don't think we're going to see that much of Rodrigo on the left. But I, I do agree that this is um, that is his better position. And I also I think it's worth highlighting. <clears throat> Six assists is really impressive for this stage of the season for a player who hasn't been playing every game. You know, I, it's actually a really impressive statistic. So. Um, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Six assists is, is pretty impressive for this stage. Let's move on to um, Anthony Lombardi, who asks, what are your thoughts on the Awar rumors? 
So, um, that was that's the end of the question. So, Hussam Awar has been linked to Real Madrid. Nothing re- really that concrete or reputable has been reporting this. Zidane was asked about it back in October, and he just said, you know, there's no, there's nothing to talk about. He's a great player, and that's it. Um, do you guys have anything to add to this? Not really. I just don't see, um, like, even if he came, he wouldn't, it's not like he, at, at this current time, would take another player's position. He'd kind of just take the Isco role. And Isco's not really playing very much right now. Odegaard's not playing. I mean, Odegaard just came back from injury, but he still needs to get integrated into the team. So I don't, Awards, I don't consider him like a pure central midfielder. I consider him more, and even Deschamps has said the same, that he's like, he's more of a like kind of left wing center attacking midfielder hybrid. So do we really need another one of those? I'm not, I'm not so sure. Maybe if Isco leaves, fine, but he's still, he's not going to come in and make an, an immediate impact, I don't think. I didn't even know there were rumors. Yeah. It just, I, I, it just reminds me, I guess, of like the Sabazlai links, like the same kind of like, I guess, surprise I had when, when we were linked to him. Like, do we, like Matt is saying, like, how does that player fit in exactly, especially with Odegaard in the side? Like, it's just, yeah, I mean, I'm, if the fit is not clear for me, I'm never completely sold on, on, on the the feasibility of like of, of this player being integrated but yeah i mean i don't even know if these like the, these aren't like super legit rumors right it's just kind of like people throwing things together you know putting two and two together like french player or french manager or, like you'd be forgiven for not realizing there were links for a player like this it's it was barely reported and nothing reputable and he's french so you just kind of like assume that that's why he's being linked to Real Madrid. So that I don't have any other thoughts. Isn't 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 him isn't his links to Arsenal like the strong? Yeah, probably. Because it was like they were, in the summer they were considering like, you know, should we get him over Partey? And you know, now the discussion has come again that like because I guess there was also links between Sabazlai and Arsenal like, you know, Arsenal fans consoling themselves like we'll get we'll get him instead. <laughs> Who knows? That's for the short fuse podcast, not for this for us. Um, last one. Our patron Nick Lauer says, "Finally, make enough to subscribe. Thank you for all the hard work that you do. With the schedule coming up, are there any pairings of players you'd like to see, or a player get more time in our easier games? I'm really excited to see Odegaard play with Vinicius or Rodrigo more. However, I think him and Jovic could work great because they both have line breaking potential with his runs." And Odegaard's precision. Well, I think, like like most people, I really would love to see Odegaard and Jovic uh, get get integrated into the team somehow. Um, I really, I mean, Jovic, I can't speak. Of, just he was so great for Serbia uh, over the international break. I watched all his games, and especially the last game. I mean, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. And so if he can, he looked like a totally different player. So if he can bring that to Madrid, if he can somehow get going, um, it could, I mean, it could be a game changer for us. So those two, I'd be really excited to see and play together. I mean, we've seen it once, right? I guess the Real Betis game. Um, That's the only time we've seen it. And so I think, yeah, those two are probably the ones that stand out to me the most. 
Go ahead, Om. We're gonna okay. Yeah, I mean, those two Odegaard and Jovic, I think, are the solution towards any offensive questions we might have. Jovic, obviously, because of the goal scoring, but because I think they force, they necessitate a transition in playing style, right? Like, I've already like talked about this before about Jovic. Maybe like some misconception about him like being like particularly amazing in terms of deep blocks, but he's more of like kind of a semi-transition. Odegaard enables you to play in that way. Like so, yeah. I mean, Odegaard especially. I think all this centers on him, his fitness, his health, the ability to integrate him. That that's the future for me. And you know, it becomes a bit complicated now, right? Because Modric is playing so well, and like I don't know if you can say well, okay, because. We need to be here, like, in 2022 or whatever. I just dropped Modric now. But I, I'm pretty sure this, like, you know, we, they will need to be called on at some point, And so I'm excited to see them integrated. But, like, it, it centers around Odegaard for me. That That's kind of what, like, makes or breaks the transition, you know, with the players we have, you know. And if it doesn't work with him, I think we need to sign someone else. And maybe someone like Aouar, like, becomes necessary because you know, Odegaard doesn't work out or whatever. But right now, like, to me, he is the key. And I don't think it's, like, I guess ridiculous to say that. Like, that's how much faith I have in his ability. And I do think he is that good. He should be in a system that accentuates him because I think that makes the entire team better. Yeah, the three that I'd be looking forward to um, in this upcoming stretch... Are uh, are Jovic, Odegaard, and Hazard is the other one, who kind of, <clears throat> in a way, just missed out on this game. I'd imagine we'll see them. There are reports now that maybe Modric's thing, Niggle, might be a little bit more serious than initially thought, and he may miss a few games um, to run out the the calendar year. In which case, I'd like to see more of Odegaard and Fede. But you know, kind of those would be the three to four names that I'd like to see heading into the rotation and I think this is you know this has been a theme also in the, in the press conference tonight that Zidane said rotations are coming we didn't make any rotations in these past few games but they are coming so I think this may be the time where we'll see it so yeah um I'm not going to do patron shoutouts tonight only because I think it would take me 10 hours to do it and multiple <clears throat> multiple drinks that would need to be taken my my voice is shot right now it's completely gone um so I'm going to thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Matt and Om, for uh, taking the time. And uh, we'll be back Tuesday, right, Matt, for Loan Tracker? Yep. we got some good talking points this week. Uh, uh, a, a lot. We won't spoil it here, but we got we got a few juicy talking points. So we review the performance and... of the Loans every week uh, on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Om, you were gonna, what were you going to say? There's a Real Madrid Femino game on Tuesday as well, this time more mercifully at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. So there will, I imagine the two pods will be put together. Um, we'll see how Grant and I coordinate that, but there should be a podcast on that game. Yeah, two-parter sounds right for Tuesday. And also um, yesterday, Grant and Om also recapped Real Madrid Femino's loss to Atletico. Also on this same RSS feed. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that um, uh, uh, loosen that episode went up last night and yeah um, a lot more content to come and then we'll take a little mini break heading into the holidays and Christmas but nothing major because <clears throat> we're just working constantly right now so yeah thanks guys 
talk soon see you guys patrons on tuesday and halamari 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 great